0: Well, good, morning. Good, morning, good morning. I have, I have my uh, my security blanket up here. so <laughs> uh, I've, I'm great. I'm feeling great and I feel bad for anyone that is struggling with sickness. It's great to see many of you switching places. I see a few of you that were gone last week, a few of you that are here this week and, uh, and some that are gone that were here last week. so we're all trading. Places, um, you can be praying for for one another. I know that there are few of our elderly that are home and not feeling great, and it's it's always uh, good to be a part of the family of God. Um, and the one thing about family is we share, and so there's a lot of people sharing these days. But uh, anyway, it's good to be together. Uh, this morning is a wonderful opportunity as we look at, you know, we've been under judgment all the last month and it struggles to be under judgment, but this next week we're going to uh, be looking to Christ. And I love this about our time together, we've been talking about these hard things which makes uh, the, the right things even that much brighter um, stark contrast. Have you ever, you know, you know what I'm talking about? When you wash a wall, or how about, have you ever washed a spot off a wall and then realize you need to wash the whole wall? Yeah, um, it's it's sad, isn't it? You get started and you're like, oh, I need to continue to do the whole thing. If that's the case, uh, just call Becky. Uh, she's amazing at it. <laughs> she came over and got our whole downstairs washed. And Nisa got the whole downstairs painted before Christmas. That's, it was a quite the feat. I didn't think she was going to finish it. But Becky came up and held Anissa's hands up, kept her going. So uh, it was great. But uh, yeah, I had my kids, you know, we found the kids, you know, they wrote their name on the wall somewhere. and And so I made them wash it off and I found, so if you see white spots all around the church, it's because... I made them go around and wash all the marks that they found, and then I realized that maybe wasn 't such a great idea. It showed the fact that we need to wash all the walls <laughs> so, so if you see a bright spots in the church that 's my fault and uh, anyway, that uh, trying to be a good dad and make them wash stuff and, uh, and uh, repent but uh, anyway, that happens. but uh, this morning we want to look at god 's judgment one time another time, and we want to talk about that idea is. One of the reasons that we struggle with judgment is how we look at it. Do we look at it from God's perspective or are we looking from it from man's perspective? As we look at it, as we listen to the verses that were read to us and we look to God's word, we realize that, uh, you know, God is light. The world is not light. It's filled with darkness. One of the things that part of that is, is that it dims our perception on everything, it dims our perception on the reality of God's truth. It, it really does bring out doubt. You know, every year, uh, it's amazing how long in my life, as I've gone to church, I've heard during Christmas time, you know, we hear about love, joy, peace, right? We hear all these different aspects that peace has come and, and how we need peace, right? But yet there still is no peace, Part of that is because we look through darkness to find it, and rather than looking to Christ itself, I look forward to next week as we talk about the gospel of Christ and we start to to gain that traction and help you to think about as we look at Christmas and look at Christ and to let that affect your your time and not uh, what we get or... Uh, just the rest that we desperately need <laughs> but that we would not be stressed but enjoy our time just really talking about Christ with one another may that light of Christ shine brightly in our life well let's pray and then read in Romans uh, chapter 2 and look at judgment and how it's defined by God and not by the world let's pray Lord Lord we thank you because you are the light and we need your light. We need your understanding. We need your wisdom. But Lord, as we learned in Sunday School this morning, we have to trust that. We need to learn from your wisdom. We need to let it guide and direct us and do what it says in order for us to experience uh, the blessings that come from your wisdom. And may we do that this morning. and. And look at the wisdom as it's defining judgment and, and the principles behind it, the basis for your judgment. And Lord, and may we learn and glean and apply that to our life in practical ways. And so may we look at that and may it encourage us and help us to understand how we might talk and do things as we find ourselves in darkness in the world in which we live. So guard our hearts and our minds uh, through Christ as we spend time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans 2 talks about a lot about, it's all about God's judgment and that no one is without excuse and he talks about why that is. And we get down to verse 6 and he says, he'll render to each one according to his works to those... Uh, by patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. Uh, he will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey uh, the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the jew first and also the greek for god shows no partiality for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before god but the doers of the law who are who have been justified This is an amazing text as we've been looking, and let's recap and see the different principles that we've learned about judgment. God's judgment will be based on His complete truth. It's about His righteousness. It's about who He is. It's not based on who we are in the world. It's the world's systems, the world's philosophies, the world's ideas. It's not about one verse over another verse. It's about all of God's Word and God's plan. It's God's true judgment is inescapable. There's no one that's going to escape it. It's according to his timing. There's a lot of people that are, they've never felt God's judgment. they going along and everything is, is going well and, and they haven't felt any repercussions of their sin and they say everything is fine. And God says, don't presume upon his kindness because judgment is coming. It will happen it's not only that, but it is just and right. It is fair. It's based on everyone's heart. And it's based on their work. God knows the heart of every man. He sees our works. And the fact that yeah, and just because we do good doesn't mean that our heart is right. And just because you know, we do evil and we enjoy the fruits of that doesn't mean that we're going to escape it. All, in all God's timing, everything is going to be just and right. Paul has accomplished several amazing things in this. He's basically condemned. God has shown that he condemns all self-righteousness, all who think sin doesn't apply to them. That's what we've seen so far is one of the direct implications. The other one is, is that God has shown that being a religious person by nature, that which we do just by the flesh, doesn't matter. We are still uh, we're not without a, you know, no one's without an excuse. There's no excuse that you can give that takes away God's judgment. But what we see what really matters and what God cares about is the heart. Not that we're religious on the outside, but that we have a relationship with our Lord and Savior. That, he, that we know Him, that He knows us. And so we we'll get to principle number four. It's not, right, partial to anyone. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't go around and say, I like you, I like you, and I don't like you so much, right? Have you ever, you know that? You know, have you ever been picked for dodgeball or picked for kickball or you played wiffle ball or baseball or, you know, in school? Uh, He doesn't play favorites. I remember being, you know, I traveled around all the time as a, as a, uh, as a kid, and you know, seven, eight different times we moved from state to state to state. And every time I had to prove that I could run, jump, and catch. And every time I moved to a new school, I was usually picked last because nobody knew me, right? Everybody, there was favorites. So I had to prove that I was important to be favorite, right? And we do that sometimes. We still do that, right? whether it's at work or at school or whether it's at home, is, is I need to prove that pay attention to me. I'm good, right? You know, and we want to be the, the good kid or I want to be the favorite, you know, parent. And so we do crazy things, you know. And I always loved it that everyone loved my mom and uh, everybody wanted to come to our house and we always had parties at my house. And, uh, and that wasn't always true, you know, growing up, I, I thought that's what we were going to do with my kids. And and uh, a lot of the kids were like, oh, that's a pastor's home. Uh, we're not sure if we're going to go there. <laughs> but uh, So we did crazy parties instead at church. But here's the thing. God does not play favorites. Paul is saying here that in this situation, everyone has the same problem. Look at verse 11. It says, for God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. That, he's describing everybody. It doesn't matter whether you've done good or you've done evil. God shows no partiality. God is the perfect and impartial judge. He judges everybody not based on favoritism or on face value. He doesn't judge based on the way you look on the outside. Uh, John Calvin in referring to this had a great statement and he said this, we must not suppose that any one of us has anything with which to please God more than his fellow man. This is the reality of what we of the implication of this statement. We must not suppose that any one of us has something better to offer God than anyone else. God's impartial, we're all Sinners. This is really Paul's point that's simply stated here in verse 12. It's really, really simple. In verse 12, he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish with the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Everyone's going to be judged. There's no favoritism. And this is the point. Ignorance of the law will not save. You ever, you ever been there where you say, well, I didn't know that was true. I didn't know that was a rule. And the reality is, is it doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter whether you've, you knew the law or didn't know the law. It's The law is not going to save you or not knowing the law is not going to save you. And that's the second one. Possession of the law will not save. God... It's like the Jews, through history and through the Old Testament, we get into the New Testament, they were always saying, well, uh, we're a Jew. We're, we're, the, we're the chosen people. We're privileged. And we're, you know, we're partial. God's partial to us. Right? And they're saying, but we, we have the law. So we are good because we have the law. And God's saying, well, you're going to be judged by it and you haven't been able to keep it. Just like the rest of the world that didn't have the law, they can't keep it either. So it didn't matter. God judges the heart. You know what this word partiality in verse 11 is? is very eye-opening. It literally is two words put together. One is face and one is taking. Or one is rec- one is taking or receiving face. It's basically, in a nutshell, it's, It's basically receiving things on face value. It's looking at something and and seeing it and saying, well, this is what I'm getting, but not seeing what's underneath. It's acceptance of one's person. The idea is of looking to see who someone is before deciding how to treat them. That's basically what the word means. It pertains to judging purely on superficial level, without consideration of A person's true merits, abilities, or character. God isn't superficial. He's not, he doesn't play favorites. He's not superficial. He's not about the whole, you know, truth isn't just based on what he, on what face value, what he sees. He doesn't look at your goodness and say, I like that one. That's why he said to David, He is a man after my own heart. David sinned, he ran and looked for the Lord to seek the Lord in repentance, to seek God's heart. When he was worshiping God, he ran to seek God. In all of his doings, he ran constantly, whether he struggled or whether he succeeded, whether he sinned, he continued to look to the Lord's heart. It's funny, is is that a lot of times we, Look at truth based on face value, right? You know, and, and we hear that, that whole statement that beauty is only, right, skin deep. Well, God doesn't judge that way. Partiality is based on God's character. It's based on who he is, and that's, that's why he told Israel in Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods. He's the Lord of the lords. He is above all. It doesn't matter what you've made God. It doesn't matter what you've made as Lord in your life. It doesn't matter what you've been worshiping, he says. I am God. I am the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He can't, he doesn't change. He judges purely based on his character. It's amazing as we think about this is that's why he says in Deuteronomy 1.17, he says, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. It doesn't matter whether a person's Big. It doesn't matter whether a small person's small. And it's not talking about their stature as far as whether they're as tall as Tim or they're as short as uh, some people who are renamed, uh, you know, unnamed. So, <laughs> but, you know, I can pick on Carrie. But um, so <laughs> I was just seeing if she was awake. Her brother gives me a thumbs up. But anyway, uh, here's the thing. He does, it's about the fact that whether somebody is likable or unlikable or somebody is rich or poor, doesn't matter whether it's important or important, God says, do not judge partially. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, or, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. In other words, they, they judge, the judge was not to let the bold, daring countenance of rich or mighty, powerful people induce an unrighteous decision. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 5.21, it says, "...I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias." doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Basically what we see here is that that God is not partial and therefore he doesn't want us to be partial. We see even today with, with all that is going on in our society that everybody wants peace, but the way that they want it is biased. The way that everybody wants peace is biased. There's a way that seems right in their own eyes, but it leads to destruction. We see society being driven by, you know, they have anti-bias training, but it's very biased. It's forcing everybody into groups. And basically, so what do we do with this? The fact that God is not partial. When he judges He's not biased. He's not partial. It's because of his character. And here we want to see basically, in this conclusion, we want to see some basic things that James brings out because James is very practical and he brings out the implications of this in James chapter 2. And that is that he wants our attitude to match that of the Lord. In James chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, he says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism or partiality. He doesn't want us, as we hold on to the faith, we say that we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't want us to hold favoritism in our faith. Basically, saying that we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet having an attitude of partiality doesn't mix. It's like oil and water, right? You can do all that you can to mix it, but all it does is causes your engine to foul. You ever run oil and water through your engine? Or your tractor? Or your you're, you know you know when you know when you're at the beginning of spring when you have to go mow the lawn and you're haven't taken the gas out of your your uh, mower you know how that bad gas burns it's got condensation in it and it has water in it it just does not do well does it we can't have an attitude of favoritism and bias or impart we can't be partial and hold on to our faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mix. Because it's not who God is. Philippians chapter 2, You it have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Who humbled himself and became obedient. Even, death, even being obedient to the point of death on the cross. You know, it's, it's funny as we think about our society and we think about all the different philosophies that are being pursued, whether it's social justice or CRT, all of these things have created subgroups that have divided everybody. We see today in, the, in man's feeble attempt in through a spirit of darkness to try to deal and make peace have actually created less peace. And here's part of the problem that's flawed as we look through darkness rather than looking to Christ is is that we are, God is truly the only one that is impartial. He judges everyone based on truth. And here's the thing is, is that our desire to be equal with man is flawed. It's a flawed premise. Our desire to be equal with another is flawed and it's a misguided step in futility. This was, I had to write this down and I wanted to read to you because I knew I would never repeat this. I just, you know, one of the things that come to you when you sit up in bed and you, it's just like, write it down real quick. My professor always told me to do that. Keep a piece of paper right next to bed. Now I just, I read in, or I talk into my phone. But that's the truth, and that's what we see going on in the world. Because here's the problem with this whole idea of equality or being equal in the way that the world's premise. Here's the thing. Everybody is different. I don't see anybody that looks the same out there, except I see a little mirror right there. (laughs) And then the one that's hugging my mirror actually mirrors a lot of my personality when I was a kid. (laughs) But here's the thing, nobody is the same, everybody's different. How about this, everybody's abilities are different. This is why this whole equity and philosophy that we see being pursued is wrong today, is struggles. Everybody's abilities are different, everybody's circumstances are different. Nobody has the exact same circumstances. Everybody's feelings are different. That's why everybody's trying to live their life based on feelings. It's total chaos. That's why there's so much impartiality today. There's everybody's partial to something. That's why it struggles. Here's the other thing. Everybody's sin is different. When you look at everybody and say, well, I'm not, you know, we're just like that Pharisee who was praying and looked at the tax collector and I'm saying, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Right? he was judging. He was saying that, look at me, I'm a little bit better. I bring that up just because the youth group was talking about it on Thursday night. I got a beautiful chance to sit in and just watch that whole process. But here's the thing is, is that we judge a lot of times horizontally on Oh, I'm glad, I man, or that one bugs me because he's sinning, or that one, I don't like that, or we judge here. Now I'm stepping on some people's toes. We get a little uncomfortable, but everybody's sin is different. But here's here's the real desire, here's the real thing. Our desire to be equal with man is flawed, right, and it's misguided. But the right desire or pursuit in our life is to mirror Christ. It's to mirror Christ. To become a reflection of the Lord. To be fertile ground for the Holy Spirit. To produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. That's James' point here. Is that we can't hold to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And have an attitude of, did you notice what he says here? Personal. Favoritism. What James is calling for in this passage is that our behavior to match what we say we believe. Our attitude should reflect the Lord. Are you a good mirror of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not, by the way, it's not about our desire, we shouldn't be reflecting our desires and our emotions. So here's the, here's the real thing. God does not judge based on race. There's only one race, by the way. There's the human race, right? God, we're all different. That doesn't, you know, all our cultures are different. Every one of us grew up in a different culture. Every one of us had a different home. Every one of us, our parents had different jobs. We all had different amounts of money. We all all ate different foods. Some of them I like more than what I grew up eating. Some of them I'm glad I ate what I ate. (laughs) All of us have different likes and dislikes. All of us have different cultures. But God does not judge on that. God does not play favorites, although I like my carne asada. I have favorites, (laughs) I'm jealous of Miguel and his trips to Mexico. (laughs) He grew up in the, the, it's been voted the greatest place to eat carne asada. So if you ever go with him to Mexico, go with him and he'll show you some of the best places. Yep. (laughs) God does not judge based on gender. Our identity and and gender is not important to God, except that he created you the way he created you. God does not judge based on gender. God does not judge based on influence or power. God does not judge on our own righteousness, but he judges based solely on his righteousness. In a lot of our social constructs and justice, our social justice ideology today, This is not what we see. However, what we do see being proposed and taught today is anything but it's blind to partiality. It's not impartial. It's not judged based on God's truth. And, And they're proud about it. People treat different, uh, treat, are treated differently based on groupings. Sounds like racism, right? Isn't that amazing? They're calling everybody racist, but they're based. This is coming out of a uh, number one New York bestseller. It says, people treated differently based on groups to which they are assigned. Verdict of guilty and innocent are largely based on an individual's Are not based on an individual's behavior, but on a group affiliation. That's why everybody's racist, because you're part of a group or not part of a group. Narrative takes precedence over fact. They divide the groups and prejudge them by the haves and the have nots, they're partial. Here's the thing. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 9. We see the fact that God wants us to be... It's all based out of let our walk be worthy in the matter of which you've been called. Let us our walk be according to the gospel which has been given to us. Let us our walk be worthy of of God, may glorify and honor God. And he talks about that. He goes in and he says that he wants our life to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not to be controlled by any outside things. And he uses alcohol as an an illustration to that, not to be drunk with wine. But he wants us to not be controlled by outside things, but to be under submission to the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit be in control of our life, to submit ourselves to the Lord. And he goes through that and he gives examples and he illustrates that, whether it be family life as husband and wife or as parents and kids. And then he goes into masters and slaves and he talks about that whole dynamic. And he says, masters, do the same to them. Talking about slaves. Honor honor your masters, he says in verses 7 and 8. Honor them because you're honoring the Lord. And he says, masters, do the same thing and stop your threatening knowing that he is both Their master and yours, talking about Christ, talking about God, is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. The words do the same thing, by the way, doesn't mean that the masters are to render service to the slaves. The idea there is, is not that the masters and the slaves are supposed to switch places, but that's what's being espoused as today. Literally in the Greek, it's talking about, but that they are to treat them with the same Christian principles and consideration that the slave shows to the master. They're all supposed to go back and treat each other in submission to Christ. It's saying that basically all the groupings need to be grouped under submission to Christ. How does a master slave relationship work? How does an employee-employer thing work? How does different cultures work together? Only by being submissive to Christ. Warren Wiersbe makes an excellent point about this. and He says, The Christian faith does not bring about harmony by erasing social or cultural distinctions. Servants are still servants. When they trust Christ. And masters are so masters. Rather the Christian faith. Brings harmony. By working in the heart. By surrendering your heart to Christ. There is no relationship with each other. Without harmony. Or submitting ourselves to Christ. The point is this. Christ gives us a new motivation. Not a new organization. Both servants and masters are serving the Lord and seeking to please Him. And in this way, they are able to work together for the glory of God. They don't care about their status. We don't care about who I am. We care about who God is. We glorify Him. Our identity is in Him. Not in whatever social construct the world wants to manufacture. Right? You know, you know, whatever letter they add to, you know, the alphabet group that they have. The proper view of Christ leads to a proper view of others. That's the point. We do well to remember what James wrote to a, a very partial age. Think about when James wrote this in the time when the church just started. It was filled with prejudice was hatred and bias of class. There was class structures. There was religious structures. There was ethnic... Uh, ethnic, ethnic blah, blah, I'm, too, I'm getting emotional up here. It's getting, there's all these ethnic structures. There's all these nationalities. There's religious backgrounds. In the ancient world, people were routinely and permanently categorized. It sounds kind of like today. A significant aspect of the work of Jesus was to break down these walls that divide humanity and bring forth one new focus. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're adopted into His family, not a new organization. Why receiving things on face value is so devastating. In James I keep going back and forth. In James chapter 2, verse 9, or I'm sorry, in verse 1, he's, you know, it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ. That's not who we're supposed to mirror. He says in verse 2, For if a man wears a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes, and by the way, God's not saying if you wear fine clothes that, you know, that's wrong, right? Or if you don't wear fine clothes, it's not saying that you're bad or to look down on. says, But this is very real. This happened back in, in this time. It still happens today in many churches. But if this happens, and if you pay attention to the one, verse 3, who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or here, how about you sit under my, you know, right below my footstool, like where I rest my feet. Just sit down there. That is not the place I want to be. I hate feet, right? That's not the place of prominence. Have you not then made distinction among yourselves and became a judge with evil thoughts? Wow. Why? taking things as partial or at face value is so dangerous and that's because of this his partiality makes dangerous it makes dangerous bias on evil thoughts it makes distinctions based on evil biased thoughts right we become judges on with evil thoughts we become judges based on purely fleshly things We let our flesh be in control rather than the the Lord. That's why in Leviticus 19, he says, You shall not uh, do injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly, impartially. We're not supposed to evaluate based on fleshly things. Right? We're not supposed to take things at face value. It's one of the biggest mistakes we make at church. People come in, they have a lot of a- attributes or abilities, and we say, that's great, but we never know the heart. Knowing the heart, God knows the heart. Here's the other danger, right? Is partiality does not take into account God's sovereign grace. We make distinctions based on the flesh, and it says, you know, in evil thoughts, in verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him? Doesn't God make sovereign choices? 1 Corinthians 1, he was saying to the Corinthian church, isn't God, you know, has not God chosen the poor in this world? Didn't he choose the foolish and weak things of this world in order to shame the wise and the prominent? Right? We, when we make things based on face value, we don't take God's sovereign will. Sometimes we'll choose those that look better or act better or have bigger abilities over the one that actually has the best heart to worship God. And we get distracted by partial things. This is the other danger. This is why partiality is so dangerous. We need to reflect God's impartial... Let God judge impartially. Is partially tends towards giving honor to those who dishonor God. I like in verse, the end of verse 6 and verse 7, Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Man, this is what partiality tends to do. James Vernon McGee, he summed up this whole passage by saying this, God tests faith by attitude and action, in respect of persons. That's pretty clear. Here's the reality, is is the gospel is about God's provision of His righteousness that He requires. God is not partial. He requires, in judgment, He requires His righteousness, and that's the power of the gospel. The The gospel doesn't make us equal among humans in all attributes in our flesh, nor powerful among humans and among our abilities. Nor does it make us, it only makes us equal together at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners. We need Christ. That's why God judges everyone impartially. There is nothing that any one of us can bring that matters other than a repentant heart that humbles itself before the lord by the way judgment is no threat to the gospel judgment is no threat to the gospel because it is powerful gospel that's paul's first point all this judgment and wrath is no threat to the true gospel just make sure that you've submitted your life to the good news of what jesus did for you 1 Peter 1.17 says, If you address as Father the One, talking about God, who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear. That's have the right respect of God. A right respect would be a humble respect. It's submitting ourselves in humility. Fear during the time of your stay on earth. That's, how, that's what's important. As we look at this, God judges impartially. He is impartial. Do you call him Father? Do you call him Lord? Or do you not call him anything? You're running from his judgment still. Supposing that if you just do a bunch of good things, it'll mask all of your sin. But God knows our heart. He doesn't look at everything based on just faced value, what everybody else sees. He knows the heart. If you do address him as your father, if you've submitted to him, repented of your sins, and you've put your faith and trust in his work of dying on the cross and, and rising again on the third day, conquering death and sin and appeasing and taking all of God's wrath and appeasing it, And giving you his righteousness. That's the power of the gospel. Taking all of our sin. All of God's wrath. So that way we can enjoy his righteousness. Then conduct ourselves in fear. During our time and stay on earth. Giving God proper respect. Proper humility. And realize that all of us are in the same boat. Let's pray. Lord, I... Pray that if someone here has not surrendered their life to you, they have not humbled themselves and laid down before you and said, I am nothing. I am a sinner. I need you. That Lord, that they would call out upon what you've done and realizing that you've done this great work, that there's there's good news for them. Maybe they've been trying to do great works to appease you, but Lord, that they would just Put their faith and trust in your work and surrender. And just be humble and realize that as believers, we're all in the same boat. As Christians, we're all in the same boat. Those that have a relationship with you, we're all in the same boat. We're just humble sinners who need a Savior and that they would seek to glorify you and that through that we would live lives of impartiality, that we just simply look at one another as people who need a Savior and are living, that need to live in the grace and the mercy of your good news, that you died on the cross for our sins, to pay for all of our unrighteousness, that we might be able to stand right in your eyes because of your work. We thank you and we praise you for that great work. And may we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.